I just said to Taylor, great job as always. That's great. Great. I love the worship, the songs picked it. I mean, I, mean, I just, I don't know. Um, maybe you're more acute when you know you're going to give the passage and you're going to give the message and then everything's just kind of focused and, and it should be that all the time. But I mean, today it was, I just really enjoyed. I didn't even talk to Linda at all. I gave her the message, told her what was going to be on. It's funny how God just connects music with message, even though we didn't in detail. I just told the passage I was going to speak on, and that's it. But the word glory comes up a lot, and it's going to come up a lot in this message here this morning. Turn to Genesis chapter 12, please. That's the only passage that was not read this morning. There's going to be two passages referred to. One will be the one up here, Hebrews chapter 11. And then there's also Acts chapter 7. I went to Chuck Swindoll's church for a couple of years when I was going to seminary. And not too far from Talbot, I think I had to drive, I didn't have my own car, but drove uh, just a few miles down the road, and there he was in Fullerton. And sometimes he'd share some funny stories because it was multiple, multiple, multiple thousands of people in that congregation. And he'd share with stories that people had written him notes after he gave a message, for example, the will of God. And he, they would pass notes on to him, and then he would share them. These are a couple of those stories. Truly happened and just funny. There was a guy that wanted to find out God's will, and he was young in the faith, not very deep, pretty shallow. If you do this, that means you're probably shallow in the faith. I have done this before, but not for a long time. Guy blind, uh, not just shut his eyes, and uh, had the Bible closed, wanted to find out God's will for his life in anything. Please tell me. Opened up the Bible, took his finger, went down a passage, and it said, Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> Thought to himself, <laughs> not good, not good. So he decided, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to just get out of this real quick, shut his eyes again, shut the Bible, went down and it said, go thou and do likewise. This is for real. Try, you think by now this guy would learn. He'd take the Bible and not do anything more, okay? So he does it the third time, and what thou doest, do quickly. There was a girl in the congregation that was also doing the same thing. They didn't know one another, but again, shallow in faith, and she wanted a boyfriend really, really, really bad. I think she went to Biola University. He never gave names to these people. I wanted to find out who they were. Just don't give me my name. And um, so uh, she did the same thing, opened it up. God is raising up a righteous man from the East. Great. You know, I've always been from the West. I want to know people from the East. So she did it again. She wanted to find out maybe the guy's name. Did it again and said, God is going to destroy the, this man uh, he's, the, God's gonna, going to take this man and destroy people with a sword. Does that make sense? It does. It makes sense. I wish I hadn't flied in between. Let me do it again. Raising up a righteous man from the east, shuts the Bible again, shuts her eyes, opens it up, and God is going to use this man to destroy people with a sword. That's funny. And that's scary. That's very scary. God is not a kind of God, when we find out God's will for our life, where he blindfolds himself and he takes the die, rolls it, undoes the blindfold, looks at where the die are landing and says, you know, that's going to work. That will work for this guy. God doesn't do it haphazard. God has a plan. He has a place. I believe that God is a God of order. 
On the side of my notes, I have this word sovereignty. You will never find it in Scripture. The word sovereignty cannot be found in the Word of God. But if you look at the Old and New Testament, you will find that God is a sovereign God all the way through. Transcends Old New Testament. And in short, this is sovereignty. Where God exercises his will, absolutely. I believe in a sovereign God. God is sovereign. God isn't blindfolded. He places certain dots on the map of your life exactly where he wants them to be. And it's very easy to look back at those dots and trace everything. It's, it it kind of like forms a pattern. You're able to connect those dots. The tough part in my life as I journey is the here and now. Because I have a lot of what I call Holy Spirit tension to try to discern what in the world is God doing in my life right now. Now, God is up to something. And yes, there's some twists and there's some turns. Anchorage has these roundabouts. Sometimes I feel like I'm going to roundabout, 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 roundabout. I can't get off that roundabout. And I'm always looking around. Am I doing the right thing here? You know, there's a yield sign here and there's a car going there. I'm going to do it. Okay, all right. Glad for no red lights. Although in our life, God gives us red lights. It's the uh, forks in the road that I have the most difficult time with. And I'll tell you why. Both forks are good. This fork is a good one. This fork is a good one. And right smack in the middle is a sign. There's a photograph that I've, uh, a photo that I kept somewhere in my files. And the photo, these two roads are going out, one to the right, one to the left. And there's, there's ruts in them. It was mud, but now it's like concrete. And the sign says, be careful which rut you choose. You'll be in it for the next 40 miles. I feel that way sometimes. Are you in Anchorage for a season? We have a brother here going to Pennsylvania. We need to pray our brother, Dan, as he goes out. Those forks in the roads, and this is, message is really for those, which means everybody here, in the forks of the road. I've got a son going to graduate here. He's homesick right now, but he's going to graduate next year. It's going to be a fork in the road. What does God have for my life? I don't know. It makes for a great adventure because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, right? If God said, here's the blueprint that I have for you, and here are all the details, takes the surprise out of the Christian walk. I love surprises. Sometimes. Look to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, and look at verse 27. This is the first time you're going to see his name, Abram. I'm so used to the name Abraham that I'm going to change things around a little bit. I'm just going to call him Abraham. Although technically his name is Abram, and by the way, that is significant. His name is Abram at this point, chapter 12, chapter 11. In verse 31, we find out more about him. Notice, Terah, that's the dad, took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, that's Abram's nephew. They go from, and Sarai, excuse me, Abram's wife, they go from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan, but they only go as far as Haran. Now, we don't know where Ur is. We don't know if it was north of Haran. We don't know if it was along the Euphrates about a thousand miles away. It could have been a few hundred, a few thousand. We don't know where Ur is, but we know where Haran is. And Haran is not in Canaan. Haran is separated from Canaan by about 300 plus miles. So you're thinking, 
Why didn't they go all the way to Canaan? Well, that's where Acts chapter 7 comes to play. We would not know, we would not know that God actually tapped Abraham on the shoulder and gave him direction before verse 31 of chapter 11. We don't know where before verse 31. And I'll just read Acts chapter 7 so you don't have to turn to that. Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Ur, before he lived in Haran. So God is telling him to move. He moves at least as far as Haran. And that is my background. I don't want you to be disappointed today because I am not going to, this message is not on the will of God so that you can discern is it better to have a Camry than a Ford. I don't know. Although I have a Camry and I really like it a lot. I also have Pastor John's car. I don't even know what kind of car it is, but um, it's a good car. So we've got, I've got two cars. That's not what this message is about. Also, the more I studied, the more I realized that it's not really about Abraham. It's about God who called Abraham. The will of God for your life is not so much about you, although you sure feel like it is. It's all about God. God has a plan for everybody in this room. That's going to be my theme here this morning. God has a plan for you. If you're sitting here and you're unsaved, God's plan for your life is that you would know him personally. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. If you know him as a savior, let me sum up God's will for your life. It'll be short, easy to memorize. To love and enjoy him forever. That's God's will for us as believers. And as you look in this passage, these passages, I should say, the first thing that I find is that God wants to make his will understandable. You don't have to go to seminary to understand the will of God. You don't have to go to Bible school to understand the will of God. He wants you to know his will. Why? How? Because God reveals himself. If you know Christ, he appeared to you as Jesus Christ. And you believed in his death, and you believed in his resurrection, and you believed in the blood, and you believe he's alive. And he's imparting to you as a living God his will for your life. (laughs) How can you not get excited about that? I can look out that window and see that tree. In a way, that's like the will of God. It's a window. And it's been crystal clear cleaned. And I can look out that window. God wants to reveal it to you. He wants you to understand his will. And so in Acts chapter 7, verse 2, he appears as, I love this, he could appear as anybody in the Old Testament. I have a book at home that lists all the names of God. One God, but all these names so we understand him. How does he appear to Abraham? Or Abram? The God of glory. So I looked up glory. Pretty significant. It usually represents Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done. It is the same word that's uh, uh, where God dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. It's like where God pitched the tent. He tabernacled among us here on earth, which is a reference for the Old Testament, where God filled that tabernacle with his glory. The other word that you find with it is the word shine. Shine. Usually with glory, 
you find the word shine. I learned a lot these last couple of weeks on this message. You, you have shine with glory. And then Peter uses that same word shine when it talks about the, uh, uh, the glory, when he talks about the uh, transfiguration. One of the writers said that at the transfiguration that Jesus was shining like lightning. So how does God reveal himself to Abraham? As lightning. I mean, that's enough to shock you. That's enough to get your attention. The God of glory appeared. And that word appeared is significant. It means behold. It means heed. It means to perceive. God wanted to be perceived. God wanted to be discovered. God wanted to be revealed. Aren't you glad that God revealed himself to you? He appeared to you. He appeared to me at Oregon State University on a field, a nondescript field. Probably has buildings there now at Oregon State. What I like about Acts 7, too, it's not about Mesopotamia. It's not about Ur. It's not about Haran. It's not about Abraham. Abraham was probably an idol worshiper in Ur because dad was. Joshua 24, too. Like father, like son. The God of glory appeared. And for me... I'm throwing water on my face after a long party the night before. I don't know Christ as Savior. I'm in my dorm room. The mirror is 12 inches away from me, and I can't even see my face. And God appeared. I was there, and it was like someone physically took my head, and I looked on a shelf I hadn't seen for four years, and on there was my Bible that Mom Fenske, my foster mom, gave me, called The Way. And in the flyleaf, there was a way that seems right to a man, but it's in his death. And I took that, and I walked to that field, but I was driven. And I opened up the Word of God out there in that field, and Jesus Christ appeared to me in the written Word. Has He appeared to you? He's the God of glory. He appears as the God of glory, and then He doesn't shake your hand and then wander off. Oh, no. Once he appears, he begins to speak. He appeared and then he spoke. And if he doesn't speak, we're all aimless. We need a God who speaks to us that gives us directions. We were designed by God to be followers. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. God wants to connect the face with the words. We need to have him guide us. God knows I need to be led or I'll be in the mire. The worst thing for us to do is lead God, and we do it without even realizing it. I don't know how many times I've prayed this. God, I've fasted, I've prayed, I've asked you all these things, and these are my plans. Now I ask that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. That's not a follower. God makes his will understandable because he appears to us in Jesus Christ and then he does not leave us like sheep without a shepherd. That's the first thing. The second is this. His will is unchangeable. Don't you love that? Why is, he, why, why is, the, God, why is the will of God unchangeable? Very simple. Hebrews 13.8, he is the same today, yesterday, and forever. You have Acts chapter 7, verse 3, don't turn to it, but in essence, 
the words are verbatim as in 12 verse 1. I just saved you a trip going through the New Testament because if you want to know what Acts 7.3 says, it's right there in chapter 12 verse 1 of Genesis. That to me gives me confidence. Whether I'm in Anchorage, whether I'm in Santa Monica, California, whether I'm in Yosemite, wherever I am, God's will for me is constant. It never changes. It's not plan A and all of a sudden you got plan B. It's not plan one and then you got plan two. God's will for us never changes. It is unchangeable. He is not fickle. There are no sudden emergencies that God says, you know what, I started you on this route. I'm going to change things away. I'm going to start going you on this route. That gives me confidence when it comes to the will of God. Also, it's unchangeable because, yes, he introduces himself as the God of glory, but now as he speaks, look in verse 1 of chapter 12. No longer is God of glory. It is Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, meaning Yahweh, Jehovah. And what does Lord mean? Significant. Self-existent one. Unchangeableness. No variableness. No wonder he induced himself as God of glory and then the moment later started to speak as Lord. Because I want confidence to know that when I place that stake in the ground today at this pulpit, I'm in the center of God's will. And I may be tomatoed. I may be misunderstood, not from the pulpit, but in life. But I know this is where I'm supposed to be. Take the stake, place it in the ground and say, as of today, I'm in the center of God's will. And pray to God for Jeff because he didn't just come on a camel from wherever he's from. He came here because he knew God was driving him here. Take confidence in that. J.I. Packer says about the immutability of God, what he does in time, he planned from eternity, and all that happened in eternity, he carries out in time. No reversal. No, um, you know, (laughs) okay, I was going to, you know what? I'm not sure what to do. If you can't think back as far as eternity and God had a blueprint for your life, think back as far as your mother's womb. All of us were in our mother's womb at some time. If you weren't, can I talk to you after the service, please? Psalm 139, 16. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me. So yes, he put together your face, way you look, your personality, and the blueprint for every day of your life. Written in concrete, never to change. Not does he just know about your future, he ordains your future. If you hesitate and you don't go through, it's okay, you can get back on track. The number of times that I've been on a tangent or gone off path, uh, it would take three sermons to talk about it. By the way, before we go on to the next point, when I talk about the unchangeability of God, let me just make, and he's immutable, there are times the scripture says that God changes his mind. The Word of God is doing that to accommodate us. He never changes his mind. Man changes his mind and reverses his mind, and then God just responds according to his character. 
you can go off to the tangent. You don't go, are you kidding me? God doesn't, is not surprised. He just responds to our reversal. And so the scripture quite often talks about a reversal for our sake that we might understand as humans as we read the Holy Word. Now, number one, he makes God's Word understandable. He makes sure that it's unchangeable. It will not change. And thirdly, his will is unmistakable because he is all wise. He makes no... The word unmistakable does not mean that you won't doubt what it is, although that's true too. It's the idea of God does not make a mistake when it comes to your personal life. No mistakes. In fact, I'll go further. We have flaws. He does not. He takes us as flaws to make us flawless, which will never happen on this earth, but that's the direction he's going. So take all those dots and plant them. Guess where those dots are heading? Towards heaven. Reads right there. Fellow heirs of the same promise, he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Living in a tent for a hundred years is not easy to do. But he was able to do it because God was growing him in his faith that someday he knew he was going to go to heaven. Are you journeyed here in Anchorage for a season? I mean, that may be a season just for Kieran and me. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm tell you, I am one of those forks right now. Do I go full-time pastorate? Do I stay with seventh grade for a while? I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I really don't know, which makes it frustrating, but also makes it really exciting. But God wants to grow me, whether I'm in Ur, whether I'm in Haran, whether I'm in Anchorage, whether I'm in Canaan. His purpose is to take the flaws in my life so that I can become more like God. And he does it this way. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says that he said to Abraham, he didn't speak to Sarai, he didn't speak to Lot, he spoke to Abraham. Because he knew what made up Abraham. He knew what Abraham ticked, what makes him tick. He created Abraham in his mother's womb. Did Sarah have a plan? Yeah. Did Lot have a plan? Yeah. But this is to Abraham. They have their plans, Abraham has his. If you have a friend who's making $200,000 and you're making fifty, don't say, hey, how come I'm not... How, I, how come I'm not making, and by the way, if I look at you, I don't mean to think I'm making 200000 But that's God's will for them, not for me. I think of what Jesus said to Peter when he revealed that Peter was going to die on the cross and that John was going to, didn't say about John, his words were, don't worry about him. I love these words. You, Peter, follow me. Don't worry about your neighbor sitting next to you. God was growing him. Abraham was a person who lacked moral courage. His wife was seen by a king as they crossed Canaan. And he said to his wife, tell, tell the king that we're brother sister so that they won't kill me and take you. Yeah, okay. Well, then that forfeits the marriage sanctity. Personal security, wanted to save his life. That happened twice, by the way, in Abraham's life on his journeys. Vulnerable to pressure, promised a son. No son came. Sarah said, why don't you take my servant Hagar, have a relationship with her, have a baby. Hagar did. The old Abraham was vulnerable to pressure. But God was not done with this man. 
because Abraham gained new meekness. The call was for Abraham, not Lot. The land could not sustain both Lot and Abraham. And so God said, to, uh, Abraham said to Lot, you choose the land you want, I'll take the other. That's meekness. Abraham gained new courage. Lot was captured. Abraham went, Abraham went out, was able to rescue Lot and bring him back with 300 men. Outnumbered. New courage and new patience. Promised a son, had to wait 25 years until that son was born. God is not finished with you yet. We call that sanctification. Where God begins a good work at you at the first appearance, and he is not done until you see him again, the second appearance. And in between, sanctification. Look at chapter 11, verse 31. Abraham was settled, which literally means fixed in place, locked in, comfortable, not wanting to move out. And so in 12.1, one verse later, it says, God says, go from this place. And that was not easy to do. If you notice in verse uh, 31, even though the call was to Abram, father was greatly influential because it's terror that takes Abram. Also, you'll notice that he doesn't go until verse 32 when his father Terah dies. Also in Joshua 24.2, as I said before, Terah was involved in idol worship. And there's a good chance that Abraham was as well. Whatever influences you, God says, go away from it. It may be internet pornography. God says, go away from it. It may be some secret sin you haven't told your spouse of or your best friend. God says, go away from it. And then he says, chapter 12, verse 1, 12, verse 1, go to the new land. Go to God. And that's really what sanctification means. Set apart from sin and set apart to God. And that's what we have here when it speaks of his will is unmistakable because God is all wise. He wants to deepen our faith. We have this on the overhead. This is verse 8, 9, and 10 of Hebrews. And as you're looking here, And reading that, let me tell you how he grows in faith. The one that makes me laugh is Hebrews 11, 8, where it says, Abraham went not going, (laughs) not knowing where he was going. Hey, I do that all the time. He went not knowing where he was going. Now, I speak in an old man's voice sometimes in seventh grade, and I don't know, should I do that here? I don't care. You know what? The older you get, you really don't care. So I can just see the conversation going on right now. Went not knowing where he was going. My wife's cringing right now. But hey, I got to do this. I got to do it. It just makes it right. He's packing his bag. He's 75 years old. He's got lots of gold and silver, it says. Lots of accumulations. He has lots of servants. He's got a condo. doesn't say that. But let's say he's got a condo in Ur. And then he's got a nice plantation outside of Ur somewhere. And they say, hey... This is retirement age. You're 75. Where are you going? Why are you going? Well, God uh, of glory told me to go. You know what? It's easier for me to speak this way the older I get. (laughs) Okay, so the God of glory appeared to you and told you to go. Ah, that's right. Well, where are you going? I don't rightly know. 
I would love to have a map where all the details were laid out for me. When John graduate, is there a dot someplace on the map of the United States where I'm going to be going to? I don't know. He doesn't show us details. He wants us to grow in faith. So he reveals his will one day at a time. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Tomorrow has enough worries of itself. And frankly, sometimes the will of God doesn't make any human sense. But he's growing us. Verse 9, chapter 11. I want you to be an alien, Abraham. I want you to live in tents for 100 years, Abraham. Abraham didn't know when he was going to die, but we do. 100 years in a tent? A big tent, probably. With no map. (laughs) Oh, man, I got a map. I've got a map in my house right now. And I've been looking at places like New Mexico and Arizona, you know, and I don't know, other places. I've got this map, and on one side, it's National Geographic. It has these dots and freeways and highways. On the blank side, flip side, it didn't have anything except green, yellow, orange. It's like a topography type map. That's what side we have. He fills in the dots. But at this point, we have no idea what side of the continental divide we'll be on. But we're heaven bound. And that's what Hebrews 11.10 is so wonderful. This dot, there's a dot over here. Oh, hey, there's a dot over here. Guess what? The dots are heading towards that door. And on the other side of the door is glory. Amen? Oh, man. I can't wait. Some days when I teach seventh grade, I can't wait faster than other days. It hasn't been an easy year for me. I can tell you that right now. It hasn't been. I told first service that as well. But God doesn't promise blessings all the time, even though there's five mentioned in the first three verses of Genesis 12. He also promises affliction. Many are the afflictions of a righteous man, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Hmm. So if you have ties or something gripping you or crutches, don't be surprised if God, and they're laid on the table nice and, nice and straight, like a chess piece set, don't be surprised if God takes his strong right arm and takes them all off so that you will embrace the God of heaven, the God of glory. God wants your heart unmistakable about it. And if he has to wipe that table clean, he'll do so. You're saying, well, you know, I'm in Anchorage right now. I have a great church. I've got great youth group because Randy Carlberg is the youth pastor. He's awesome. And then you owe me for that later. <laughs> what? Only God is awesome. <laughs> True. Only God is awesome. Only awesome. But he may be taking you where everything, you've got the greatest mentor and confidant you've ever had. And he may be taking you, uprooting you, and bringing you to Cold Bay, wherever that is. Don't fight the Canaan move. He knows what he's doing. So God's will is understandable. He reveals himself. Unchangeable. Same today, yesterday, forever. Unmistakable because he is all wise. And then finally, achievable because he's all powerful. If God was wise and not powerful, he'd be pathetic. If God was powerful and not wise, he'd be frightening. He is powerful and he is wise together. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 4, I wouldn't have known this had I had that passage. 
it says that literally God removed Abraham from Haran. It means cause to migrate. It means remove to a new abode. It means enabling you to fulfill the will of God that he's placed on you. He doesn't give you a blueprint and said it's not possible, but here's the blueprint. He says you shall do it in the name of Jesus Christ and the power that comes with the name. He's all powerful. He's all wise. And at times when you have not the will or the energy and you're waking up another day, God will actually empower you to fulfill the will of God. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, 2, and 3, there were five I wills, but the one that I camped on was Genesis 12, verse 2, where he says, I will make you, Abraham, a great nation. And the first thing that came to his mind was, I have no child. Abraham, I will make you a great nation because your wife will be 90 years old. And even though she's barren, chapter 11, verse 30 of Genesis, she will have a child from your loins, from her loins. When God says, I will, that's his signature. And believe it or not, it shall be done. And if not, he's inept. You know, sometimes I am dwarfed by the world and all the circumstances surrounding me and all the situations, and I don't know how I'm going to get up in the morning, but you know what? God dwarfs the world. Hmm. Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it till the day of Jesus Christ. From first appearance to the last, and in between, God will empower you to live his will. So where does that leave us? that leaves us with that spiritual agreement. It's not the Abrahamic covenant. It's your covenant with God. The one who has embraced you and appeared to you and now speaks to you every day. Chapter 12, verse 1. Look at it, please. Two words. Go forth. Now look at verse 4. Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. How close were they? Look at chapter 12, verse 3. I love this. They were the closest of friends. I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. Man, you didn't want to curse Abraham. That's how close they were. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. There's one thing that I said in first hour that I missed here. When you live in Haran, it's, it's ease. It was for Abraham. He's pretty well settled. Things are going great. Wakes up in the morning, looks out, makes sure the flocks are Okay. He has so many servants, they do the job for him. It's time to kick back with your legs up, smoke a nice cigar. Cigar? Look out. What a breeze. What a life of ease. The truth of the matter is, God wants us in the place where we're so dependent upon him in this spiritual agreement that I want you to turn to Psalm 34. Please. 
I don't want to have to go around all the, all the places where you're saying it. Psalm 34. I do it with some of the Christians. Turn your Bibles open. And then some kids don't do it. So I'll say, turn your Bible open. I'm just kidding, you guys. But if you have a chance, if not, just listen. These words are so fantastic. Psalm 34. And I'm just going to pick some. I've had a rough year this year in teaching. Probably my roughest year I've ever had. And um, it's going good now. But it wasn't that way. And, and then during spring break, I made it a point to memorize Psalm 34. Don't ask me to say it out loud because I probably wouldn't get it all. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but look at verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. Look at verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Look at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Another one that really caught my attention. I couldn't wait till I got to this part. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. Are you brokenhearted? Are you afflicted? That's where God wants you to be. We're forced to embrace him. That's the covenant agreement. So here's three questions I'd like to give you. Number one. Are you willing to obey the parts of God's will that you know today? I just picked out one. Kieran encouraged me to pick out one, so I did. Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you? Here's three things we can do this week. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. If he wants you to leave now from whatever it may be, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to follow him, and he promises to bless you. He always blesses obedience. Number two, are you willing to obey before you know what the plans are ahead? It may mean a lot of patience on your part. Thirdly, are you willing to thank God day by day as he does unfold the details? If you look at chapter 12, verse 7, he goes someplace, he builds an altar. Verse 8 of chapter 12, he goes someplace, Bethel, and he leaves an altar. Chapter 13, verse 4, he goes someplace, builds an altar. Wherever he went, God, Abraham was building an altar because he had a relationship with God. He was praising God, no matter what the situation he may be in. You know, this is God. This is a God thing. And you that know the Lord will agree. Because you know, you recognize God. Don't you recognize God's signature and hand on stuff? This was my message. I've used this Bible for the last two weeks. This is not my Bible. I got it from home. And tucked inside this Bible, and I've gone through this for two weeks. Karen, where are you, honey? Five, five minutes before I'm going to come to the pulpit, I open up the Bible. Karen is there and saw it. And this jumped out at me. I won't tell you who it is. Some of you are going to try and guess. You might guess it. I don't know. This is what I found. There's two pages. I'll read the first page if I can keep my emotions. I had a hard time first hour. This is a note written to God by an anonymous person. Lord, please help me to trust in you. I give you my summer. I give you my future. I want to be wed of you. I love you. Father, please work in my life. I need you. 
I am so depraved, so selfish. I'm looking at this situation from my perspective only. Help me see it from yours. Give me eyes to see. Please show me your will so that I can rest in it. I couldn't have planned that better. Wow. Meanwhile, you've been misled. You're on the wrong fork. Damage, you're saying, is irrevocable. You don't know what I've gone through. You're off course. You've lost the compass. Let me encourage you today. Joel 2.25. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you. True story of a pastor kid. He had a key to his dad's church. Went late at night, didn't want to be disturbed. Came in the sanctuary, got before the pulpit where his dad preached, and he started to worship God. Going to graduate as a doctor, dedicated his life to the mission field. And as he worshiped for quite length of time, He took a piece of paper and for maybe 20, 30 minutes wrote down every single thing he wanted to do for his Lord, for the God of glory. And then he was going to pray, and he did. He prayed up to God, but it just seemed like the walls were made of steel above him. He couldn't get through to God for some reason. And after all, he had just done all this paper and wrote all the things he wanted to do for God. I don't get it, God. And he was silent. He was through saying things to say. He had nothing left to say. He relates in the story that there was a silent confidence that he believed came from God that said this. Throw away the paper. (laughs) I just spent 35 minutes, God, uh, writing this stuff for you and not for me, for you. Throw away the paper. So he took the paper and he threw it away. And then he said, the conviction in his heart Get another sheet of paper. So, still on his knees, reached over, got another piece of paper, laid it before the altar, and then God said, sign the bottom. Have you signed the bottom on your journey? We are pilgrims with a huge eternal future. Let him fill in the blanks. Let him pack your bags. Let's pray. You're an awesome God, worthy of praise and honor and glory because you are the God of glory. Thank you, O God of glory, for appearing to us in our depravity and our unrighteousness and like Terah, worship of idols. Thank you, Father, that you've entered our room, thrown away the key, and opened the door. Help us to take today's step and then tomorrow's by trusting in you fully. You are Lord. Your plans do not change. They are set in eternity. You make no mistakes. 
And you bring us from depravity to Christ-likeness. That's why our hearts are humbled. That's why we call you Lord. That's why we want to glorify your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. God bless you.